about people that Jesus interacted with, people that Jesus talked to. And last week we talked about the Pharisees, and we talked about Nicodemus, and these were the people, these were the, the house of Israel, right? These were the, the um, Hebrews of Hebrews. The Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee, he, he referred to himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, like the Pharisees were the best of all the Hebrews. If there's, I don't even know what a modern um, comparison of that would be of all the Christians, like if there was one denomination that they were like, oh man, they were like, you know, Hasidic Jews you see on TV and they've got the curly hair and they've got the big old uh, cake box looking hat thing, you know. Um, so the Pharisees were the closest, the most devout. And we saw Jesus reaching out to the Pharisees, reaching out to Nicodemus, reaching out to them, trying to say, hey, guys, here's how this works. Here's what the truth of it is. And some of them listened, some of them didn't. So then, if we're just in John, and we just go next in John, John 4 begins, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he got out of town. So, They didn't like John. They were disturbed by John. The Pharisees were disturbed by John the Baptist. They sent people out to question him. And it was actually not their... They didn't have anything to do with him getting arrested. With John the Baptist getting arrested. That was the Herodians and Herod and all that. But now, Jesus has... His disciples have been baptizing people. It makes a note to say it wasn't Jesus baptizing anybody. Because he baptizes with fire, and it's a whole different story. But his disciples are baptizing people. And it's the same baptism as John's baptism. A baptism of repentance. But Jesus knows that once the Pharisees find out that more people are following Jesus than they were ever following John, that he's going to get a whole lot of attention, and the pressure is going to be on more than ever. So he leaves. Because he doesn't want the big crowds yet. He doesn't want all the attention yet. It says he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So we've talked about Samaria before, but we're going to talk about it again. Mileage-wise and distance-wise, I want you to imagine that you're going to go to Terre Haute. You don't want to go anywhere near Washington, Indiana. I mean, those people are savages. No offense. I mean, this is how, honestly, this is how I feel about Martinsville. Because there's all kinds of Ku Klux Klan in Martinsville, and every year a whole thing happens. And when we have to drive to Indy, the way the road used to go, they had the best spot to stop and use the bathroom at the Starbucks, because it was easy on, easy off. Now they've rebuilt the road, and it's a whole big old mess. But I was always a little nervous when I was in Martinsville, because I was like, I know 
everybody knows that knows the news knows the Ku Klux Klan is in Martinsville. And I, it just makes me nervous. And uh, so Samaria was a little bit like that. It was on the way. It was right straight. If you got a study Bible, you might even have a little map drawn. And by golly, you have to go right smack dab through the middle of Samaria to get to Galilee from Jerusalem. And Samaria, nobody wanted to go there. No good Jew would would ever show up there. So they would basically drive to New Harmony and get over into Illinois and take the highway all the way up and then get to, uh, what is it, East Ter- West Terre Haute in Illinois, and then come in on Highway 70 into Terre Haute to completely avoid Sullivan, Vincennes, all that riffraff. That's basically the scale of what we're talking about, is they would go way out of their way around Samaria, come back in to Galilee um, from around a roundabout way. Now, that sounds fine. Like, if we were doing that, and you look at Google Maps, you're like, this adds 20 minutes to my drive time. It is no big deal. They didn't do all that, right? They're walking. So to not go there, but to walk all the way down and go down that aisle and come up there is going to add days to your journey. It's going to add days to your trip. So there were some people that weren't really very righteous and they weren't very holy people and they would just cut through to save time. And so what if you might have to touch a Samaritan? And so what if you might have to get some food from some unclean place? So why why were the Samaritans so bad? So that all of Israel was a united kingdom and then Solomon was king, you know, Saul was king over all of Israel. David was king over all of Israel. Solomon was king over all of Israel. And then stuff started splitting. And the younger kings started dividing things up. People quit following the Lord. And so just like in Judges, the Lord would send a little discipline their way and a little help to encourage them to follow him again. And people would either turn to the Lord or turn to false gods. And different sections of Israel started getting carried away by the Assyrians, by the Medes, by the Persians, by the Babylonians. And one of their techniques was, let's take everybody from this land and move them all out and get a whole bunch of people from this land, this land, and this land and move them all in. And now we get to tell them what the culture is because there's no tradition, there's no history, you know, There's all this German heritage around the west side of Evansville. And if you really wanted to destroy that, then you would just get every German person on the west side of Evansville and move them to Newburgh and Henderson and Tell City. And then you would get a bunch of people from Kentucky and you'd get a bunch of people from East Chicago and you'd get a whole bunch of people from down in Louisiana, and you'd settle them all over the west side, and they would have no common... They would just have their new thing, right? And so all... Well, that's what they did to Samaria. But when they did that, all the people got attacked by lions. And they said, the God of this area doesn't like us. What do we do? 
well, let's get somebody from around here and have them tell us what the God of this area wants us to do. And so they grabbed this guy who kind of, you know, they grabbed a couple people and they grabbed some priests and they realized they couldn't make it to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. So they set up a new mountain. And this, this mountain is the mountain where Moses was. Wink, wink, wink. It wasn't, but they needed that mountain to make their God happy so the lions would keep, quit eating them. And they kind of half-baked this Judaism that was also a mixture of all the other religions, of all the other places they went, you know, because these amulets really help us back in our old country. And, you know, if we, if we sacrifice this thing and, and, and then eat bacon, then this will help us. So, so it becomes this big mishmash thing, right? Kind of like, you guys, you don't have to watch TV or listen to the radio very much before you, there's people that are Christians that have the, you know, $400,000 watch, and they're like, the Lord wants to bless you if you give, just like he blessed me with this $400,000 watch, right? It's called Christian, it is not Christian, it is not following Jesus, the Samaritans had this thing where they all thought they were Jewish. They were not doing right. And so that made the Jewish people so angry, right? Just like I get really angry when I hear somebody do something in the name of Jesus and they say it's Christian and it's not anything that Jesus would ever, ever want to have happen. So... They hated Samaritans. They would spit every time they said the word Samaritan because that word was in your mouth and you wanted to clean your mouth out. If you had a plate and a dog ate off of the plate, you could wash the plate and reuse it and it would be fine. If a Samaritan ate off of the plate, you would smash the plate into a powder and throw all of that out because that plate is so defiled and so gross. It would have been better for a dog to eat off of that plate than a Samaritan person. So if they hate Samaritans so bad, you can see why, if it takes me one day to get there, I'm going to take three days to go around because I am not setting foot in their place. Because good grief, what if I have to talk to one of them? <laughs> or even worse, what if I have to eat some of their nasty food? Because, I mean, stuff happens, right? You're going through, your donkey falls off the road, different things happen. What if I get stuck in Samaria? Ugh. Well, Jesus is different. So he goes to Galilee, and he cuts right through Samaria. And the disciples that are with him have got to be so nervous so nervous. These guys, they are all just like, oh, Jesus. Probably, we don't know, but it's likely if any of these kids were righteous and raised righteously, they would have never gone through Samaria before in their lives. This is the first time they're ever there. This is like, um, this is like years ago, there was a fire. Uh, they called it the fire family. 
there were fire performers that would breathe fire and twirl fire, and they had all kinds of tattoos and, and piercings, and they would perform down at the Four Freedoms Monument on Sunday night. And hundreds of people would come, and it was just this savage, you know, I remember a guy walking around with a big old snake around his neck, and it was like the seedy underground of Evansville. And I took my whole family down there. And we went to watch the fire show. And we stuck around for a little bit. And all my kids' eyes were really big. I'm like, oh. And, it, and then all of a sudden we had to hurry up and leave because it didn't feel safe anymore. That's what these disciples are like going into Samaria. They're like, Jesus, this is Samaria. Like there are Samaritans. We might actually have to talk to Samaritans. And you could just hear them maybe even saying to each other, have you ever talked to a Samaritan before? No way. I've never talked to a Samaritan before. And just what that conversation was. And Jesus just takes him right into the middle of it. And then, like a stinker, he's tired and he says, I'm going to sit down here by the well and rest. You guys go find some food. Like, let's just, you know, take a couple teenagers, dump them off in the south side of Indy, and say, find us some ham sandwiches. And it's like, you can hear the gunshots, you can hear the sirens, what kind of neighborhood are we in, and where in the world are we going to find sandwiches, right? Just dangerous, scary. But, you guys, read it slow. Pay attention to every word. Jesus is wearied from his journey, and he sits down beside the well. Jesus, God, is weary. He is tired of walking. Dude could have at any second gone poof and like made an earthquake happen and like all the ground fall apart and all of Galilee moves right up. He doesn't do that. Instead, he sits down to rest by a well. It's the sixth hour. So it's like noontime. It's the middle of the, the, they numbered, this is from sunrise. So it's the middle of the day. It is hot and the sun is beating down. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So you might have heard this before. This is weird. You do not go get water in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day. You go get water Everybody goes together. You all go as a group. You can all help each other out. You can talk while you do it. You go in the early morning. You go in the evening. You go in the early morning because it's not hot yet and because you need water for the day, right? Your day is starting, so you want to start the day with water. You go in the evening because when sun goes down, it's going to be a new day. You're going to do all your ceremonial cleansing and all your washing, and you'll just need water for night and dinner and and overnight and all that stuff. So she comes out in the middle of the day, which is just a terrible day, terrible time to do it. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, even better, she's a woman. The Pharisees would wake up every morning and they would say, Thank you, God, that I'm not a woman 
a slave or a Gentile. That was part of their recited prayers. Thank you, God, that I didn't wake up as a woman, as a slave, or a Gentile. This lady is at least two of those. She's Gentile because she's a Samaritan. Samaritans were not considered Jews. And she's a woman. And Jesus starts the conversation with her. He is the one initiating the conversation. You know, you've probably experienced this time and time again. If you're uh, in the grocery store parking lot, if you're walking down the street, if there's a, a poor and homeless person or somebody that's begging for you know, a dollar so they can get a sandwich, that whole thing, who usually starts that conversation? They do, right? I had one time in my life where I got convicted of that and I decided I'm going to flip the tables and I'm going to try to start the conversation with the people that I know are going to beg from me. And it changed my life. And I don't do that now. That was just a little blip. But I just, to tell you, Jesus starts the conversation with the person that he knows is in need, the person that he knows they are going to ask him. They should, she should be asking him. And he's the one that starts the conversation. That, that is powerful. But she's totally thrown off. She's like, what are you going to do? Drink out of my water jar and then smash it into powder and bury it down here? Because a Samaritan drank out of it? How, why are you even talking to me? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew who you were talking to, you would have totally asked yourself. You would have asked for your own things. You would have done it. This living water business is really great. So they had two classifications of water in their day. And you had dead water and you had living water. Dead water was in a cistern or in some sort of a storage where it just sat. Living water was flowing water, like from a spring. And it was moving, and that automatically makes it a zillion times cleaner than anything that's just sitting stagnant in a cistern, right? This well was probably living water at the bottom of the well. It probably wasn't stagnant water because they're drinking it, and the whole city is drinking from this well. So it's probably good. But when he says, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water. Living water is going to be better than what's in this well. I don't know if you've ever been by a creek or if you've ever been by a waterfall. Just the air smells different. The water feels different. It, you're not supposed to drink it, but it tastes different. He is offering her living water. So just on the not parable level, he's saying to her, if you asked me, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me and I would have given you something better than what's in this well. But he asked her first. So she's confused. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you even get living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Just think about that for a minute. You know, you, you might go somewhere, you go to Gettysburg, and you look around, and you're like, wow, Abraham Lincoln walked here, stood here, and talked. You know, you go to Washington, D.C., and you're like, wow, this is the river that George Washington crossed. Like, this is the real spot. Um, this, is the, this is the booth at the stadium where Taylor Swift sat and watched the football game. And I'm in that booth. I can see it. They are drinking from a well that Jacob, the Jacob, drank from. And then all of his sons, who are his sons? The 12 tribes of Israel, the patriarchs, the original Jews. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not Abraham, but it, and it's not Moses, but it's close. Wow, and they're drinking from that very well. And she's like, you've got something better than that? And by implication, Jesus is saying, what I have to offer you is better than anything Jacob ever drank. Jacob, or the 12 sons of Israel. What I'm offering you is better than all of that. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying, what I have to offer is a spring, not a well. A well you have to work to get to, a spring comes to you. If you've ever seen a spring, it's just absolutely mind-boggling to look at it and to see how much water is coming out of it, and then to think, that is coming out constantly. That doesn't stop. You know, even if a tablespoon an hour comes out of a spring, in a week, that's 168 tablespoons. That's going to add up, right? A spring is just infinitely better than a well. Give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. They're both, they're, Jesus is hinting at it, she is hinting at it, but she doesn't know it. Is that the way the Pharisees were getting salvation and righteousness was with tools, with stuff. They had a jar. They had to work. You had to dig a well. You had to lower the jar into the well. You had to pull it out. You had to work to earn your living water. And Jesus is saying, all you have to do is ask me, and a flood comes, a spring comes, and you get it all. Not by all of these doing the works. The other thing that's great is, what is this lady doing so far? What is she doing to earn anything from Jesus or to make Jesus like her? Zilch. She is, she's arguing with him. She's demanding things. She says, okay, then give me, this, give me this water so I won't be thirsty or have to come out here anymore. 
Why does she want the living water? Because it's awesome? No, because she doesn't want to come all the way out to this well in the sixth hour anymore. It's out of her own laziness. It's out of her own wanting to get out of... Make her, she wants to make her life easy. She hasn't flattered Jesus. She hasn't said anything to honor him. She hasn't said anything to say, Rabbi, we're really glad that you came here. You're welcome here. She hasn't even gotten him any water yet. And that was the very first thing he asked for. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. This is the first like thing that they have actually communicated on and they understand each other and there's been no left turn, right? Jesus said to her, you're right. Oh, except she's lying. You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And Jesus was right. Everything he just said to her, he was correct. And she knows it, and she comes clean. She says, I perceive that you are a prophet. She realizes she is in the presence of somebody who is really religious. She can tell he's a rabbi because he dressed like a rabbi. And she's like, not only are you a rabbi, you're a prophet. You just saw right through me. And then she goes, whoop. <laughs> and she sidesteps to get out of that line of fire because she just got something accused on her, right? Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people will worship. This has happened to me. This might have happened to you where sometimes people perceive that you're religious and they want to keep talking to you, but they talk to you about the, whatever religious thing they know about. And so they bring up Joe Olstein, or they bring up whatever, right? Some scandal or something that the Pope was in the news and he shouldn't have said, or whatever. Or some televangelist. And that is great because now we don't have to talk about ourselves anymore. And we don't have to have anything personal. We can talk about, it's just like talking about the weather or the cubs. It doesn't affect us, and we can talk about it. Jesus ain't having it. She says that. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Well, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. This lady had a speck of religion about her. She knew how to identify a prophet and she knew that there were some rules about where you worship and where you don't worship. And Jesus honored that speck. And he said, you, you do. You worship, but you worship what you don't know. And the Jews know what they worship, and they're right. But, he says, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. 
the Jewish leaders like Nicodemus, they had the truth of Moses' law. But remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? Are you still so dense? Do you still not get it? They didn't have the spirit. The spirit of what God intended with that law, they were missing. But then here's this lady, and she's like, we worship on this mountain, you say this mountain. And almost in her is some sort of seeking to worship the right way. She's got just this little bitty bit of spirit of wanting to worship in her, but she doesn't have the truth. And Jesus is saying, these are all going to come together pretty soon. It's all going to happen. And you'll have the truth and you will want to do it because you'll have a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone and you will be changed. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Then this really cool thing happens. She dodges that. (laughs) And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. (gasps) Yes, she wants a Messiah. She just overplayed her cards. That she has a totally messed up view of the Messiah. She has a totally messed up view of God and how worship works. But she wants it. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. This is one of the only places where Jesus comes close to calling himself the Messiah. And who does he do it to? A Samaritan woman. And that is Jesus. Jesus is no longer, it is not, God God has always been after the Gentiles. He has always been after the Gentiles. And the Pharisees closed that door and turned it off. But God didn't, God doesn't listen to the Pharisees. And so he is reaching out. That's the very next thing that happens in John. He's reaching out to the Samaritan woman to reveal himself that he is the Messiah and to bring salvation to her. Just then his disciples come back. His disciples haven't even heard him say that he's the Messiah yet. They haven't been to Caesarea Philippi. They haven't had that whole experience. This Samaritan woman knows more about the true identity of Jesus than the disciples do. Which is just awesome. They are all quiet. They've already been freaked out. They went to town. They saw, oh my goodness, this town in Samaria. They got food somehow. I don't know how that happens. And now they come back and Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. And it says nobody wants to talk. Nobody wants to say anything. They all stay quiet. And she runs off. She goes off, and she leaves her water jar. And John is so good at leaving details that reveal stuff. She got the living water. She doesn't have to come out here anymore to get water. Now, she might have to come out here and get water, but she doesn't have to come out here anymore. Doesn't matter what mountain she goes on to. Because the water that she really, really needed and wanted, that she's gone through five husbands to get and still didn't get it, now she's got it. And she leaves her jar 
and she runs back to town. I'm going to finish up with this. Jesus tells the disciples this thing. They're like, why are you talking to her? What's going on? Here, eat some food. They're like, we worked really hard to get some kosher food in the middle of Samaria. We had to, they may have even had to leave Samaria and then come back. We, we don't know. But Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. There are so many people out there waiting to get saved that it's like the, the um, I don't know what the gizmo is called, the tractor that plants the corn is out in the field as the same time as the combine is out harvesting the corn. Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? That's exactly it. The harvest is so... People are growing from God's Word. God is calling so many people and reaching out to so many people that it's like you've got the combine and the cedar out in this field at the same time and the corn is just busting out of the ground, growing right before your eyes. And it's growing right before your eyes, so plentiful, we need more tractors. We're going to need a bigger boat. We need more people. we got to get everybody out here. The picture that Jesus paints is there are zillions of people wanting to get saved right now that need Jesus and want to know Him. This is a prophecy from Amos 9. Amos was a prophet in the same time of Hosea and I think Isaiah too. And he is prophesying. And guess who he is prophesying to that's about ready to get carried off? The northern kingdom. He is prophesying to the people that live in Jesus' day what would be Samaria. Because they didn't listen. So Amos is prophesying to them... I will raise up a booth that David that has fallen and I will repair it. I will raise up its ruins. I will rebuild it so they can repossess the remnant and all the nations who are called by my name. All the nations who are called by my name. The Gentiles. Everybody. The days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes will overtake him who sows the seed. The guy who's trying to gather the grapes to make wine is going to be in the way of the dude that's planting the seeds because everything is growing so fast and so bountiful. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Amos about that section of land, that space. I will restore the fortunes of my people. They will rebuild the ruined cities, inhabit them. They will plant vineyards, drink their wine. They'll make gardens, eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they will never be uprooted out of the land I have given them. Jesus is telling the disciples, Amos 9 is happening right now with me, and you guys want me to eat that sandwich. 
It's happening. It's all happening. And the woman comes back and she brings the whole town with her. And she says, here's the guy that told me everything I ever did. All the people in Sychar become believers and they all want Jesus to stay. He stays there for three days. I love it because the exact time that he would save on the shortcut, if he would have gone around, it would have taken him the same amount of time. But instead, he goes right into the middle of it and he sits there and he teaches. And all kinds of Samaritans get saved. The kingdom of heaven spreads out all over. Further down, after two days, he departed from Galilee. What's really great is you've got Nicodemus who wants to work hard to get his salvation. And Jesus just shows up and he's like, you Samaritans, you don't have to do anything for your salvation. You just have to listen to me. And they listen and they get it. And they get it. What did Jesus eat for two days in Samaria? We don't know. No, none of the food there is clean. None of the food there is ceremonially clean. There's no Pharisees there to call him on it and to complain about it because Pharisees wouldn't be caught dead in Samaria. What did the disciples eat? Where did they sleep? I, don't, I think it's written down. It's not written down because it didn't matter. Because Jesus isn't, isn't going through 611 laws, 613 laws that you don't have to follow anymore. He's saying, follow me. And at the end of the two days, the Samaritan said, we no longer believe because of what this lady said. Now we've heard it for ourselves and we believe. And so all these Gentile, the Jewish people would consider them Gentiles. They would consider themselves Jewish. Jesus doesn't care. He's reaching out to them. And, uh, and it's all salvation by grace through faith not by works, right? That Paul would write about in Romans and Ephesians. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for loving and reaching out to Gentile sinners like me. Thank you, Lord, that it's not about doing a whole bunch of stuff right. And that even after all these people got saved, Jesus still didn't tell them to do a whole bunch of stuff right. Um, they pretty much continued on the way they were. Lord, I pray that you would work salvation among us. Help us to see how ripe the harvest fields are and how many people want to follow you. And Lord, help us to be a part of it. Help us to see it and to believe it and to act on it. We love you, Lord. You're so awesome. Amen.